And that's important for us to keep remembering because we live in a really individualistic culture and our tendency is to think about our walk with Christ in those terms. And it certainly is true that there is great personal benefit um, in meeting with God and, and having that change us. It's, it's beneficial and it's pleasant. It's a pleasant way to live, to be obedient and, a, and to be a joyful servant of Jesus. But ultimately... We do not spend time with God first and most so that to make us happy or just to give us a good day. Um, ultimately, we need to spend time with the Lord um, to give him glory and to equip us to be one who is part of seeing the church strengthened. Um, in Ephesians 3.21, part of Paul's prayer, he said to him, to God be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And if you think about that, wanting God to get glory in the church alongside with God wanting, to, wanting God to get glory in Jesus, that, that's a big deal. We look at Jesus and know that there was nothing he did that didn't give glory to God. And so we want the church to also reflect God's glory to, um, you know, to, to the greatest extent that we can. Then we need to be people who are shepherding our hearts by meeting with God in his word and participating in the life of the church. So we accomplish that purpose. We, we go about pursuing that purpose and growing in that purpose with three disciplines. And the first discipline is the heart. This is the discipline we'll be talking about today. Um, she prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel. Um, now today we're going to talk about some practical ways to do this, both in our time devoted to the word and prayer and throughout the day, bringing our hearts, our minds, our responses, our attitudes, um, everything back in line with the truth of God's word. And you've had some questions on your homework to kind of help get the wheels turning about that. Um, Discipline two is, is the home. She ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. Now this is a rubber meets the road kind of discipline. Even in a strong family, this can be difficult. I mean, how do you keep on speaking to one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs? Biblically, how do you keep on loving and keep on serving and keep on shepherding unless you keep on shepherding your own heart with the gospel? Our household relationships are really humbling because we're actually called to care for one another biblically on a very personal level. The people we live with know us better and we know them better than anybody else typically. And yet we're still in the mixed condition. We have our own battles with sin. So in the midst of caring for one another and trying to spur them on in their walk with Christ, we still need to be spurred on in our walk with Christ. So it requires confessing sin, it requires seeking forgiveness, and it involves reminding one another of the gospel and calling one another to repentance and walking in God's grace. Um, Discipline three is ministry. With a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her household, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. I was having a conversation with Josh Kelso not long ago, and... um, He was talking to me about John the Baptist and how John the Baptist said he was not worthy to carry Jesus' dirty sandals. He wasn't worthy to do that. He didn't deserve to do that. 
And Josh had a, was sharing that he applied that, that every day he comes to work and says, Lord, I do not deserve to be a servant of Jesus. I don't, I don't deserve to be that. And, and I just have really appreciated that. I don't deserve to be a servant of Jesus. Um, I don't get to, I don't deserve to be his servant. I don't deserve to be a servant of his bride, to be a slave of, of his bride, the church. But that's a privilege. It's a privilege he's given us. It's a privilege for us to serve one another and to remind one another of the greatness of our salvation and the greatness of our God and to help each other grow. So that's why Discipline 3 is ministry. And then down at the bottom of the page, you have our, our verse from which we get the name of our ministry. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4.23 uh, uh, February 22nd, Jacob Hantlett will be here to teach that verse. And I never grow tired of hearing that lesson. But that verse just reminds us that all of these disciplines come back to our heart. And that's why our lesson today is on the discipline of shepherding our heart. How do we guard our hearts practically? What does that actually look, look like? How do we do that? So today we're going to talk about both sides of heart shepherding. And we're going to start with what we're doing with our hearts throughout the day. <clears throat> now, we're going to focus on identifying sin, turning away from sin, what our sin shows us about our, our, our thought life. But I don't want to neglect the importance and the reality of what I want to call positive heart shepherding. Um, The Christian life that that we want to be aiming for is one of abiding with Christ and living lives that are filled with thankfulness and an awareness of the beauty of his creation and his just many little kindnesses to us throughout the day. being thankful and trusting him and talking about him as we go in and as we as we uh, go out and as we come in and just um, having hearts that are saturated with the joy of knowing the Lord um, and and that's and that's true and that's and that's real and and I just I just want to say that up front because I don't want to give the mistaken impression that the goal of the Christian life is just to quit sinning. I mean, we want to quit sinning. But if we were if we're just sitting in a box, okay, I'm not sinning, I'm good, that would be missing the whole point. We want to become more and more effective at identifying and repenting of our sin so that there's nothing there to hinder our fellowship with God. There's nothing there to hinder um, our ability to um, be a light for him and to live lives that give him glory. So this is this is important because of what it hinders. We need to battle sin because of what it hinders in our fellowship with God. So even though we're going to be talking a lot about sin, understand that I'm not saying that's the sum total of the Christian life. Okay, any questions about that? Okay, probably obvious. Okay, so today we're going to we're going to talk about some tools, some tools that might be helpful in shepherding our hearts. And the first tool is a model that can help us evaluate some of the struggles that we might have with shepherding our hearts throughout the day. And so the first thing we're going to talk about are the circles you got. You got a gray circle and you got a blue circle. 
And as I have been preparing for this lesson and spending time looking at this, I have found this has been really helpful personally. And it's a tool. You know, there are other tools as well. Um, I was talking with Anne about this. this. This lesson, you really can think about this idea of shepherding our hearts really should be looked at as kind of as a diamond. And there's just many, many facets of it. This is one facet, one way to approach the shepherding of our heart. And I personally have found it to be very helpful to help me quickly get to the root of where I've gone wrong in my thinking um, and to reset and get back in step with the Spirit. It's been helpful in parenting, and it's been helpful in um, other relationships just to have insight and to help other people get to the root of their struggle. So... Bear with me. I've never explained it before. This is a new part of um, a Wellspring lesson. And so ask questions and help me make it clear enough to be helpful to you, too. Okay. So I want you just to look around the outside of that gray circle and see if there's anything there that you might struggle with. You know, over on the right, anger. Do you ever feel angry? Do you ever struggle with anger? How about anxious? Do you ever feel anxious? Do you ever struggle with anxiety? No? Okay, we'll skip anxiety. That's not one we can, none of us can relate to, right? How about complaining? You ever just kind of have that, like, sometimes it feels like I just have gravel in my heart. Like, it doesn't matter what you do, I'm just going to be irritated. You know, quit being so cheerful. Yeah, that's just a complaining attitude or selfishness. You know what? Why? I just, I just, I just want to do what I want to do. Or I want to do it my way. How come everybody thinks that their way is better than my way? Don't you know? I've done this before. Trust me. I know you can realize this is all foreign, foreign territory for me, right? Um, well, do you ever wonder what is at the root of those sins? You know. For myself, sometimes I feel like I'm going along and boom, that sin just moves in and it grabs a hold of my attitude and it just doesn't want to go away. Now, it's important to remember, Scripture says we are not slaves to sin. Okay, we are never slaves to sin. It does not truly have rule over me. But sometimes it seems like that and sometimes I feel at a loss to know how to kick it off the throne Get my eyes back on my true king. You know, I might find myself praying, Lord, I don't want to be bitter. But if I'm honest, I really am. Deep down in my heart, there's that little root in there. You know, and, and so I pray and I confess it. And Lord, by faith, I just, I put that off. I'm not going to walk in bitterness. I'm going to walk in love and forgiveness. But boom, walk away from my prayer time. And something comes up that reminds me of that thing. And it's just back. Hits me like a Mack truck. What do I do with that? What do you do with that? Well, this is a model that is going to tie that struggle back to our desires. Trying to see what that struggle says about our desires and how we're thinking about our desires. So our two circles represent two ways that we might be thinking throughout the day. Our gray circle, that first circle we're going to talk about, we're going to call that the listening to yourself circle. And you can see they're color-coded. The listening to yourself words are in gray and the circle is gray. And over on the shepherding your heart circle, the circle is blue and the letters are blue. So the gray circle, this is what's going on in our minds when we do nothing. We just let our minds drift. You know, we're not making any particular effort to guide our thoughts with the word of God. 
Um, and then the second blue circle describes what's going on when we are shepherding our hearts. We might call that taking our thoughts captive. We might call that renewing our minds. We might calling that talking to ourselves or setting the Lord continually before me. Scripture calls that a lot of things, and they're more or less all the same thing. It all means being intentional with how we're thinking and how we're processing what's going on in our mind and, and around us. But both circles, you can see up at the top, start by looking at our desires. So let's look at the gray circle. Now, in Christ, we are capable of some very good desires. A lot of things we might desire. We might desire help. We might desire um, to resolve conflict. We don't really like conflict. We want to resolve that. We want to live at peace with people. We might really desire safety or just a a sense of security or um, we might desire marriage. We might desire our marriage to be stronger. We might desire children. We might desire our children to be obedient. We might desire our children to be saved. We might desire other people to be saved. Relationships to be strengthened. Salvation of the lost. Just a sense of peace. Um, you know, sometimes we can you know, summarize the things that, that we want. We just, we just want a pain-free life. You know? Just get all the things that... that that bring out these sins. Get them out of my way and I do just fine. But the problem is that when we're not shepherding our hearts, we can take those desires that are not bad in and of themselves. And we're capable of some very bad thinking about those desires. Sinful thinking. And that thinking messes everything up with what would otherwise be reasonable desires. We're very prone to start thinking that we deserve what we desire. And when we start thinking that we deserve it, that easily becomes a demand. We start thinking that we actually have a right to what it is that we want. But a lot of times we're completely unaware of that. We don't get up in the morning and make a list of, okay, today I have a right to a pain-free life. You know, we, we don't don't actually say that and may not even be aware of it. Um, but this rest of this circle is actually really helpful in helping us identify where that's what we've done with our desires, where we've let them become rights or perceived rights. Um, so what what we see on our circle, those we're going to think of as red flags. Those um, are red flags that we may not be thinking biblically about our desires. For example, the bold letters uh, going around the far outside of the circle, you see disappointment. You know, I, I, I just am so disappointed. I've worked so hard with my kids. I've worked so hard, and, you know, they're just, they're just not making good choices. You move on around the circle, that disappointment, if, if we don't... We don't uh, take that back to truth and, and take our thoughts captive with that, that, that easily grows into discouragement. You know, this, this relationship, it's, it's just not changing. And, and you know, maybe, maybe I've tried really hard. I've done everything I can. I'm, I'm trying to do everything I can to walk biblically in this relationship. And, and it's not, it's not ch- maybe, maybe it's getting worse. Maybe it's getting harder. I've got a trial, and it is not going away. And I am weary, and I'm discouraged. And, 
You know, that discouragement, if it goes unchecked, going around the circle, we're going counterclockwise, it doesn't take long till we can get ourselves to that point of despair and we just give up hope and, and we just we just want to check out. You know, we're done. I, I, I don't even really want to try anymore. Um, and then in lighter print there, those are some of the sins that are going to show up when we have allowed ourselves to think that we have a right to our desires. So let's take a couple examples and see if, if we can figure out how this works. So I'm going to start by talking about anger. Um, and there was a time when I was doing very poorly in my battle with anger. Um, so, so why was that? I'm going through the day and to get up in the morning and have breakfast with the kids and we do our devotions and I spent time with the Lord and then I open up the word with the kids and we sing songs and we're doing everything we're supposed to do, right? That's what you're supposed to do. And so then we start school and we're going along and it just doesn't go according to my schedule. And maybe it's because someone disobeyed or maybe it's just because something takes longer than you think it's going to take, longer than I wanted it to take. And eventually, sometimes it didn't take terribly long, I would find myself just in the grip of anger. Just felt like I was in its grip. Well, what desires might be driving that anger? What does that anger reveal to me? What it is I think I have a right to? Well, I have a desire maybe to accomplish the things that I wanted to get done that day. And maybe it's even a good list. Maybe it's a list I prayed about. Like, Lord, here are the, here are the things that, that I, I, I think that would really honor you for me to get done today. And so, so I've got a desire to get those things done. I, I have a desire to have obedient children. That's a good desire. But when those things didn't happen and my schedule got derailed or my children didn't obey, maybe I corrected them. And they still didn't obey. And I corrected them again. And maybe they still didn't obey. Eventually, I would become angry. And I'd become angry at the people who were keeping me from keeping my schedule. And who were making me feel like a bad bomb. Because it wasn't working. And so my anger was exposing that I had taken those desires and turned them into a sense that I had a right for my day to go the way that I planned. I had a right for my parenting to work right away, right now. Um, so I had thought that I deserved my good desire, and now my anger revealed that I was demanding it. And if someone was going to try to keep me from fulfilling my desire, I became angry with them. Is that, is that helpful to see how that anger reveals the rights? So let's talk about anxiety. All right, or anxiety or fear. Okay, I I don't, in general, struggle with a lot of fear, but especially when our kids were young, I was fearful of heights. I think I probably still would be in the right circumstance if I was if I was standing next to Ava. If I was responsible for Ava, I would be fearful because Ava likes to move, and you're standing next to the Grand Canyon. Okay, my kids remember that they didn't get a very good look at the Grand Canyon. Because <laughs> they were looking at it from 30 feet back. So I, I don't feel comfortable 
next to heights. Well, what does that fear reveal? Let's just talk about what is it that I might desire. What good desire might be behind that? Well, I desire to be safe. I desire to stay alive. I desire to keep my children alive. Right? Those are not bad things to desire. Those are good desires. But my anxiety and my fear reveal that I think I deserve to be safe and that I deserve to keep my children safe and alive. And if that safety is threatened by a great big hole in the earth with lots of bumps and sharp things all the way down or by an airplane or whatever it is, I quit trusting God. I am anxious because my desire that I cherish feels like it's slipping out of my hands. I'm not in control of that. See how that works? It's a good desire. When I grasp it, think I have a right to it, there's going to be a sinful manifestation of that. It can take lots of forms. We all have our sin of choice. Um, So let's let's see. all right, so go ahead and look at the circle. There's, you know, there, there's lots of examples of ways that we might manifest that we've let a desire become a perceived right. Um, you know, disputing, being quick to quarrel, being a lover of self. Um, over on the right, without peace. Down at the bottom on the left, you see lover of pleasure, lover of comfort. And I, I just I want to explain that one a little bit. Um, this this is one that, that can be a little bit trickier to know whether that's pointing to sin. But what really we have to go back to is what's our motive. A lot of times it, it's going to be manifested in excessive behaviors, um, doing something for the purpose of escaping. You know, I just don't want to deal with it. I don't want to. I don't want to engage. You know, I could be sitting in the same room with people and just zone out. You know, that's just more comfortable for me. It could be video games. It could be overtly sinful things that we just we just got to get out of our lives, like um, pornography. That's a struggle for women these days, unfortunately, with the uh, internet being so available. You know, it could be uh, drugs, illegal drugs, or drunkenness. But, but a lot of times we can seek comfort in things that are not in and of themselves sinful. Um, you know. Getting on the computer and zoning out. You know. Just turning to entertainment, movies, romance novels, social media. Um, the point there is, is not that those things in and of themselves are sinful, but we're turning them for an escape. I don't want to deal with life. You know, I have a right to a pain-free life. I have a right to be able to say something and to have you understand what I mean and us to be able to move forward. And um, when we desire that and then in our minds we're not shepherding our heart, we, we start thinking about it as a right. We may turn to these kinds of behaviors for the purpose of checking out, for escaping. Shopping's another one. You know, I'm going to the mall. I'm going to spend money I don't have on things I don't need. It just makes me feel better. Okay, that's, that's an example of being a lover of pleasure. Um, but the point in all of those to evaluate is why are we doing it? And um, any questions about that? Yeah. 
If you're not sure, you can talk to your discussion group um, leader about that. Or talk to me, talk to Ann. Um, all right. All right. So when we, we look, start looking at these things, we start asking ourselves, why, why do I do these things? What's the desire behind it? You know, why do I complain? You know, some other desires that might be lurking behind some of these sins might be I, I just desire respect. I desire happiness. I desire to be loved and appreciated. I desire to be understood. Um, I desire things to be fair. You know, we're perfectly content with doing what's right as long as everybody else has to do what's right too. Um, we just we just think we we desire everybody to be honest. We desire people to drive right. Okay, a lot of those are just ways of saying I desire a pain-free life. Not something the Bible ever promises us or says we're entitled to, but that's oftentimes what we really desire. Okay. Well, when we are in this gray circle and we start seeing these things in our lives, this is not a good place to be. And one reason why we might feel pretty discouraged over here, you see that in the bold print down at the bottom, um, is that these might even be sins that we're trying to deal with. You know, we, we might be confessing our anxiety or our anger. And we might be resolving by God's grace, Lord, I'm going to turn from that, I'm going to... Um, look up verses that tell me about this and, and I'm going to look at verses that tell me what I should be doing instead. But in the moment, it just feels like we're entangled by it all over again. And so we start to feel discouraged. What am I doing wrong? And so prayer becomes harder because it feels like it's not working because after all, don't we at least have a right for God to take away my struggle with sin? Do we? And we don't really necessarily feel like getting in the word because we feel like it's not doing any good. Don't I have a right for my time in the word to make me quit sinning? Do I have a right to that? It would be nice. It helps. Um, So when we're in this place, we may find ourselves just miserable. And we probably are making everybody around us miserable. And... At that point, how in the world are we going to live lives that give glory to God? It's just a horrible place to be. And the scary thing is that this is not some evil person who lives down the street. This is me, and this is you, when we do nothing with our hearts throughout the day. And so what do we do about it? If these things are red flags that are warning us that we have turned our desires into rights, Where should we go with that? What does it look like to shepherd our hearts away from that when we come up against disappointment or there's a temptation to grumble or whatever it is? Well, that brings us to our blue circle. Psalm 16.8 says, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That's another way of saying I'm going to shepherd my heart. I've set the Lord before me. Continually. Now, we are still going to be disappointed. It's pretty hard to live in this world and not experience disappointment. But when we've set the Lord before us, we're not going to be shaken by that. So the blue circle has 
some things in common with the gray. As we said before, they both start by looking at desires, desires that are oftentimes good desires, nothing wrong with the desires in and of themselves. But what we are going to change is how we look at those desires. So go ahead and open up your Bible to Proverbs. We're going to take a look at several Proverbs. We'll start in Proverbs 16. Proverbs is really helpful to see how we should think about our desires biblically. Proverbs 16.1 says, and you have these references inside the blue circle, and I guess I should have said this from the beginning. Obviously, you don't have an outline. And uh, my thought was that you could just take notes right there on the pictures. Could have mentioned that earlier. Sorry. Proverbs 16.1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. See, even the answer of the tongue of the people around us, that answer is from the Lord. The outcome is from the Lord because he's sovereign even over the plans of our hearts and our desires and how others respond to them. Look down at verse 9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Who is responsible for our unmet desires? For those plans that we make that don't work out. Who's responsible for that? God is. God is. God oftentimes directs our steps right into unfulfilled desires. He is in control, and his control is never outside of his goodness and his love and his wisdom, and his purpose is to finish the work that he has begun in his children. Proverbs 19.21. You can turn the page to Proverbs 19. Many plans are in a man's heart. So we have many plans, we have many desires, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. See, whatever it is that the Lord has counseled, that's what's going to stand. Just because we desire something, that doesn't mean it's going to stand. It doesn't deserve to stand. We don't have a right for it to stand. God's counsel stands. And then this last verse, we've, we've looked at this before at the beginning of the year. This is a verse worth committing to memory. Proverbs 28:26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. The fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered. Um, if if I devise evil plan, I'm sorry, not evil. <laughs> if I devise even good plans in my heart, but devise evil plans in my heart, that's foolish too. But if I devise plans in my heart and I trust in my own plans, I trust in my own desires. I think I know best. I'm actually being a fool. We're fools when we do that. Um, turn to James 4. Let's look at a new t- what the New Testament says about this. We're going to look at James 4.13. And James writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. So there's a desire, Right? We've got a plan. We've got a desire. It's the American way. We're gonna, we've got a desire to go make a profit. What should we tell ourselves? Verse 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live. 
See, if the Lord wills, we'll be alive. We don't even have a right to being alive tomorrow. The Lord has to will it for us to be alive. That's a good place for us to start. And then it verse continues, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. See, when, when we say, I've got this desire, and I want this, and there may be nothing wrong with that desire, but we do it without a view to God's sovereignty and his right to rule and control our circumstances, then we're actually boasting in our arrogance. That's what verse 15 is saying. And then verse 16, all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him, it is sin. So what do we need to do with our desires? We've got to take them off the throne and thinking that they have a right to rule, and that we have a right to those things we want, and we need to submit them to God. We make them bow to God's rightful rule. Scott Maxwell says we need to bring God back into the center of our desires. It's not wrong to have good desires, but what is right to do, even with good desires, is to make sure that we submit them to God. You know, I planned my way, Lord, but but you will direct my steps, and I'm going to trust you. Lord, I plan my way, but the answer's from you. I trust you, Lord. Tomorrow, you know, I'd really like to see these things happen. I want to see these things happen in my family, in my relationships, in my work, in my church. But Lord, I won't even live tomorrow if you don't give me breath. See, if, if, if we wake up tomorrow, if we're alive, that's a good thing. And everything else that comes, we can trust God with that. So that's what we need to tell ourselves concerning our desires. Just because we have a desire that's not obviously sinful, or even if we know, we look at God's word, like this is a biblical desire, it doesn't mean that God is under obligation to fulfill it. Now, have you ever been around a baby who's learning to communicate? You know, every time they want something, you say please, or you, you sign please. You try to teach them that if they want something, they need to say please. And so eventually they catch on. But then they have this rude awakening, and they find out that just because they say please doesn't mean they're entitled to everything they want. Right? And and they start getting really frustrated because they're doing this, and you're not giving them what they want. And in the same way, just because we're believers... Just because we've desired, learned how to desire the right things, the good things, the God-honoring things, and we ask God, and we say, please, God is not under obligation to carry that out. He is wise. He will give us what we need, what is right, what is best. So that's the first thing we need to do in shepherding our hearts. We have our desires and our plans and our intentions and our good ideas, and we submit all of them to God's rule. And really, that's a fundamental gospel reality. Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us had turned to his own way. That is the condition we were in apart from Christ. But in Christ, I turn away from self-rule. I become a slave of God. He's the king. And so shepherding my heart means I submit my desires to him. My desires must serve my king. He has a right to rule, and his rule is good. His rule is always perfectly consistent with his love. Um, Oh, turn over to 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 11 and 12. I actually came across this just this morning in my prayer time and thought, oh, I, I just love how this puts a, 
an umbrella over our desires. Um, Second Second Thessalonians chapter one verse eleven says, "To this end also, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling." And fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I thought it was, I think it's just really helpful to see there that his prayer was that their desires for good things would be fulfilled so that the name of the Lord Jesus would be glorified. And so I think as I, I take my desire, I've got a desire for good thing, but I, I put it under the throne of God and say, Lord, I only want what brings you the most glory. My greater desire has to be for your glory, not for this good thing that I want. Okay, so that's the first thing. But there's another thing we need to do in shepherding our hearts when it comes to our desires. And that is that we need to tell ourselves throughout the day what we truly Deserve what we truly have earned for ourselves, what it is we really have a right to. And this is where, again, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. What does the gospel tell us that we truly deserve? Romans 5, you have these verses in your blue circle as well. Romans 5, 8 and 9 say, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That's what we deserve. We deserve the wrath of God. We deserve eternal punishment and separation from God. We deserve hell today. So first we saw that we take our desires and submit them to God's good rules. We put God at the center of our desires. And then we take what we deserve and we put the gospel right in the center of that. put God at the center of our desires and the gospel at the center of what we deserve. And what we truly deserve is hell. And we're not going to get it, praise God. We don't get what we deserve. But that is what we deserve. That's the only thing that we deserve. It's important to remember that the believer's worst possible day on earth Worst possible life on earth. If you have a life that's the worst possible day after the worst possible day after the worst possible day for the rest of your life, that life is miles of goodness above what we deserve. So we need to bring the gospel back into the center of what we deserve. So what does that do with our perceived rights, our demands? Well, when we submit our desires to God's rule and we remember what we truly deserve, that makes us relinquish any perceived rights, everything that we might have demanded before. So what about that anger I talked about to begin with? Well, I still have a plan, and I still want my kids to obey, but it's God's right to interrupt my plan, to change my plan. To call me to shepherd my children just as many times and as often and as continually as he wants me to. Because I'm his slave. He's sovereign. I don't have a right to any of that. Anything I get done, any progress I make with the kids, is better than I deserve. And so I walk forward in obedience and I trust him. I walk forward and I'm faithful with my responsibilities, but not so that I can force things to happen the way I want them to, but just rather so I can live in obedient trust of my king. Completely changes my perspective. 
How about anxiousness? You know, I still want to be safe. I still want my kids to be safe, but it's not my right. God's my king. He has all my days numbered. And he is trustworthy. You know what? He's protected me. He's protected my family through countless dangers that I am not even aware of. And if I get hurt, or my kids get hurt, or even if we die, God is sovereign. Psalm 139 says, All of my days are written in his book before one of them came to be. And it's God's right to rule, not mine. I can't do anything. No amount of anxiety is going to add one minute to my life, is it? That's what Jesus said. I deserve hell, and whatever happens is better than what I deserve. Even if the outcome is difficult, even if the trial does not end, or things don't get better, we shepherd our hearts by submitting our desires to his sovereignty and letting the gospel inform us of what we truly deserve. That will lead us to relinquish any perceived rights that we may have been claiming, and instead we walk forward in obedience, being faithful with our responsibilities and trusting the Lord. So you see down at the bottom of the blue circle, you see the word dependent. This is a very dependent way to live because we do not have the power or the right to claim any of our desires, any of these things that may be very near to our hearts. We want them badly. And so it leads us to humble reliance on the Lord to sustain us in the condition that we're in, to enable us to live with thankfulness. And we have hope, not in the immediate outcome, but in our God, who has given us himself and he's given us his son, his spirit, his word. We have his precious promises to work all things together for good for those who love him. That is far better than we deserve, isn't it? He is making us more like his son, and he's teaching us to be more dependent on him. His ways are so much better than our ways. Go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians 12. I want to close out this section before we take a break by looking at an example of a man who had a very good desire that God did not see fit to supply. So what do we need to tell ourselves concerning any perceived rights that we think we have that we need to relinquish? Well, watch watch Paul. Okay, we're going to start reading in um, verse 7. Paul has just talked about a vision that he had. And he says in verse 7, Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Isn't that interesting that Paul was in a mixed condition? Paul knew that he was a man who could be tempted to exalt himself. The Apostle Paul was. And so God helped him by giving him a thorn in his flesh. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. To torment me. He was given torment to keep him from exalting himself. Um, And so what was his desire? Verse 8. Concerning this, I implored the Lord... Not once, not twice, three times, that it might leave me. That was his desire. Lord, take this away. Verse 9, and he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. In other words, no. I'm not going to give you what you're asking for. I'm giving you something else. 
I've given you grace in the midst of you not getting what you want. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Because you are not getting what you want, you're weak. And God says, I'll give you my power that's associated with my grace. So Paul writes, most gladly, therefore, most gladly, most gladly, he just got told by God that he's not going to get what he wants, and he says, most gladly, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. Paul's thinking, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to boast. I didn't get what I wanted. That I'm in this affliction. I'm going to boast about this weakness that I feel so that the power of Christ may rest on me, may dwell in me. Here's a man who is focused on Christ. He is submitted to the Lord. Verse 10, therefore, I am well content. He is not content because he got what he wanted, is he? He's got contentment that the world does not know. He is content with weaknesses because of God's grace. He is content with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So here's a man who has a good desire, and he brought that desire to God. He had a plan in his heart, but the Lord directed his steps. And God said, I have grace for you in the midst of that. God has grace for us in the midst of whatever it is that's not going our way. He gives us power to bear up under it. So what a contrast. When you think about this life, this kind of listening to yourself versus talking to yourself, shepherding your heart, both ways of thinking, both ways of living, have desires that are not being fulfilled. That part's the same. But over here, here's a person who is probably pretty unhappy, consumed with himself. That can be me. That can be you. And over here, we have a person who has joy and peace. And it's not because she has everything she wants. It's not because her perceived rights are being satisfied. But she has submitted her desires to God's sovereign hand, and she preaches to her heart all the time what she truly deserves. And then she rejoices in the grace of God to be content in any circumstance. So when we see these red flags around the gray circle popping up, that's our signal. I need to shepherd my heart. I'm claiming a right to something that's not mine. What desire do I need to submit to God? What do I truly deserve? How do I walk forward in God's grace and obedience? And if we sin, we need to repent. In a little bit, we'll talk more about what that includes. Um, but I want to encourage you to spend, spend time with this. Think this through. Um, kind of try it on for size. Give it a test drive. Kick the tires. Um, I would encourage you to use it to help your children understand the root of their sin. Um, help, them, help them make a list of what is it that you, that you actually want here. It can be really revealing to realize, well, those aren't things, the things I want aren't bad. But boy, I've got a grip on them that is not, that's not submitting anything to the Lord. Um, so that, that can just be a wonderful gospel opportunity. Talk about bringing those things under God's rule. Okay, any questions?
I think you had a biblical response. What did you say? Do you have a good answer to that? Um, what did you say? I would say, no, I, I really don't. It's, you know, God was a gift from him or, you know, mm-hmm. pointing at that to the Lord. Those are good answers. Anybody else? Ann, um, what would you say? I would up and say, no, I deserve hell and anything else is a pretty good day. <laughs> and that was popular. Yeah. Yeah. I know Kenny Williams always says, you know, if you ask me, how are you doing? I now I just blanked. Better, yeah. Better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. Mm -hmm. I think there's really truth to that. Yeah. And and you know, we we can. It's sort of catchy and cute, and it certainly could even be said in kind of a way that was offensive, quite honestly. Yeah. Better than I deserve. What do you think you deserve, buddy? Because I've got a grip on reality that you don't have. You know, I mean, we, we can turn anything into a chance to sin. I can. Um, but, you know, I, I've had, um, I don't know if you guys know Randy Sitton. Godly man, sweet man. He's, um, I think he's got MS. Um, saw him at church uh, when... He and his wife were helping set up for the grill out. Hadn't seen him in a while. Randy, how are you doing? Giant smile on his face. He said, oh, better than I deserve. You know what? That blessed me. Because I know this is a man whose life is much more difficult than mine. Physically. And his life is better than he deserves. Like, oh, Lord, thank you. I needed that reality check. Thank you. So, yeah. Anybody else? I'm sorry, when you say, oh, when we're going through something difficult, a lot of times we'll tell ourselves, I don't deserve this. Yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and as believers, we, I mean, really think about God's kindness. Even, even our trials here are better than what we deserve. And... The word redemptive is sort of a buzzword these days. But but God has redemptive purposes in them. He he has already purposed to use those trials for our good. That's that's pretty amazing. That's better than we deserve. You know, we we could just we could just have a hard life because we don't deserve any better. But God actually has designed the trials to make us more like his son. They're they're acts of love from him. Well let's take a little break. Uh, just a little one. Let's get going again in like three minutes. Because now we get to talk about what do we do when we're alone with the Lord. For this part of the lesson, um, primarily we will be looking at this book that says Praying with the Word of God. Um, that's, that's a resource, it's a tool, we'll talk more about that here in just a minute. But if you want to take notes on what on this part of the lesson, just take them on the back cover, the front cover, inside it as we go through it, or whatever is most helpful to you. Okay, so now we're going to talk about what it looks like to shepherd our heart when our Bible is open. So I'm going to give some principles, and then I'll give you some suggestions on ways that we might apply those principles. Now, if this part of your walk with the Lord is going well, it's, it's consistent, it's um, you are you have a strong, vibrant prayer life. You your time with the Lord is it's just a time of sweet intimacy with Him. Um, then don't feel like you need to change anything. 
Um, These are tools. These are um, a variety of of ideas that are just being put in front of you to be helpful. If you don't need the help, then great. Keep doing what you're doing. Let me know and you can come teach next year. (laughs) You can do this. Um, But... You know, I find that I, I like just to change things up sometimes, just to keep my time with the Lord fresh. So um, go ahead and, and stay dialed in. If, if it's not something you need right now, you might want to use it in the future. You might want to use it in helping somebody else strengthen their time with the Lord. Um, but in all of it, even though we're going to be talking about maybe some sort of nuts and bolts, it's just important to understand that the point is that we draw near to God and his word to meet with him to behold him. He is our great saving God. Psalm 43.4 calls him our exceeding joy. Our exceeding joy. That's who our God is. And so we come to meet with him in his word and to pray to be with him. To be with him. He's our father. He's our good father. So where do we start? Now you may find, we may find, that opening our Bible is not always what we want to do in the moment a lot of other things things might seem way more attractive to our flesh like sleep you know like getting some things done enjoying some of our favorite escapes you know just zoning out so i want to start with talking about what are some of the things we can do on the front end to warm our hearts now, at the beginning of the year, you received a Wellspring uh, songbook. And I brought mine. Here it is. It doesn't look quite like yours. But you've got your Wellspring songbook. And, you know, if, if you're sitting there just feeling like getting to the word is just a wall that, boy, I'm really having trouble and it feels like my, I'm going to just be brain dead, open up your songbook. And I mean, a lot of these are very familiar. They're what we sing in church um, on Sunday. These these came from Josh. So flip till you get to one that you know. If you really, really hate to sing, pull it up on, on the internet and sing along or however you want to do it. But that that is just a wonderful way to warm your heart, to prepare yourself to come and meet with God in his word and in prayer. Um, another way we warm our hearts, go ahead and get out your book, turn to page 20, is to rehearse why we're coming to the word. Prayerfully review, what does the word tell me about why I should be in the word? What is the value of coming to the word? So I, I don't think, the, is it page 20? It says preparing to meet with God in his word? Yeah, yeah okay, I'm sorry, Anne. I apologize in advance, it's small. If you want a Word document so you can blow it up and print it bigger, I will send it to you. You just let me know. Um, look at the first one, Psalm 1, 2, and 3. I might, I might turn these ideas into a prayer. I might say, Lord, I want to be one who delights in, your, in the law of the Lord. I want to be one who meditates on your law day and night. I want to be like that tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit and leaf, and its leaf doesn't wither. Lord, I want that to be me. Father, I come to meet with you because that's what I want you to do in me through my time in your word. 
How about the next one? How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Lord, I can't walk in your law if I don't spend time reading it, if I don't draw near to you in your word. How blessed are those who observe your testimonies, who seek you with all their heart. Lord, will you help me seek you with all my heart as I get into your word so that I can grow in my obedience towards you? You spend time looking at what the Word has to say about the value of being in the Word. It's going to help you know how to prepare your heart in prayer for coming to the Word. Lord, I want this to be a time of drawing near to you, of, of enjoying you, delighting in you. I want this to be a time where I'm, I'm warned against sin and I'm trained in holiness and I'm reminded of the gospel. So, so that, that, that can be a really helpful way to warm our hearts you know, if you think about being outside on a cold night and it's dark and there's a fire, why do you come near the fire? You don't come to the fire because because you already have what it's offering. You come to the fire because you don't have light and you don't have warmth and you want what it offers. So if you find yourself having trouble even getting started in, time, in your time of the Lord, recognize that that's the point. You need what the Word has to offer. Coming near to the Word is going to warm your heart to receive what God has for you there. So don't let the fact that you don't have it already keep you from coming. It's your fire. Okay. So now we're, we're going to stay with this, this book. Um, but Discipline 1 says she prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. And I'm concerned that we may wrongly assume that everyone understands what it means to prayerfully shepherd her heart. So I want to start by talking about prayer and some practical wisdom for strengthening our prayer life. And then we'll spend the rest of the time just walking through this booklet where, where, where you will see some practical examples of some ways to apply some of these principles. Um, D.A. Carson said, by the way, this, this is the book of the month this month, uh, a call to spiritual reformation. Mark gave it to me for Christmas. Um, I didn't realize it was a book about prayer, but it's a book about prayer. Priorities from Paul and his prayers. I've only read the first chapter and a lot of the things I'm going to share, you'll, you can have expanded from that first chapter. Um, just, but but um, the first chapter is just kind of practical wisdom for your prayer life. But, but D.A. Carson says in this book, one of the foundational steps in knowing God and one of the basic demonstrations that we do know God is prayer. Spiritual, persistent, biblically-minded prayer. A lot of times when a believer is struggling, oftentimes you start digging beneath the surface, you'll find out that they are not regularly confessing sin. They're not regularly thanking God. They're not regularly remembering the gospel and prayer or worshiping and praising God outside of Sunday morning. So some practical wisdom for developing and strengthening our prayer lives. Um, the first point is, is, is that we need a plan you know, it almost goes without saying, but we'll say it anyway, that to have a healthy prayer life requires a commitment of time. Um, you know, it's, it's a great idea to pray in the car. I would never tell you not to do that. 
Um, there's everything good about praying without ceasing, praying throughout your life and throughout your day. But there's, if you're driving your car and all of a sudden somebody comes out of nowhere to cut you off, what you're going to stop is praying. You better take control of that car and avoid the accident if you can. And that's appropriate. But it just um, it points out the need for a time when you can be 100% focused on the Lord. Um, Colossians 4.2. Go ahead and turn your Bible there. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. So the kind of prayer I'm talking about here is not to tell you don't quit, don't, don't pray in your car, but this is saying that we have an earnest need to have a time where we are 100% devoted to meeting with the Lord in prayer. Um, Matthew 5, I'm sorry, Matthew 6 says in verse 5, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. That's their motive. They want the approval of men. But Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, now notice he doesn't say, but when you pray out in public, keep your eyes open and don't do it out loud so no one knows you're praying. That's not his solution. His solution is, Go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And so that's the kind of prayer that I'm talking about strengthening and cultivating here. So if we're going to have that kind of prayer, it requires a commitment of time, an allocation of time. You know, for me, my most consistent time of deep communication with the Lord is before and after I'm in the Word. That's, that's the best time for me to have that kind of prayer consistently. The second thing we need to plan for is we need a plan for battling distractions because there will come. That's, I mean, I don't think it's any mistake that Paul said in Colossians 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it, keeping alert in prayer. So we need a plan for battling distractions. Um, one of the most helpful things is to pray aloud. Um, it may be helpful to make use of uh, some prayer tools like Valley of Vision as a part of your prayer time. Not the only thing you pray, but as a part of your prayer time. Praying scripture can be helpful, and we'll look at more about that in our um, booklets. Um, choosing a posture that promotes attentiveness. I will tell you that if you struggle with being attentive in your prayer, staying alert in your prayer life, then your bed is not a good place to have your prayer time. That's not You're not setting yourself up for success if your bed is the place you choose to have your devoted time with the Lord in prayer. doesn't mean you can't pray in bed. Pray in bed. Don't quit that. But don't wonder why you're having trouble with distraction or falling asleep if that's the place you're trying to have your devoted time of prayer. Um, another really practical thing for um, battling distractions is have a notepad 
and a pencil. So you can just jot things down, those things that pop up, like, oh, i got to remember to call somebody, or I never sent them an email about that, or oh, i got to do this. Jot it down and then write back to your time with the Lord. Put it down on paper so you don't have to hang on to it in your mind. Um, another practical piece of wisdom for strengthening our prayer time is to pray systematically. There can be an endless variety to this, and you'll see some examples in the booklet. But our time of a, t- a robust time of prayer will include praise and thanks. It'll include dealing with sin. It'll include praying for ourselves and praying for others. And it's helpful to have a systematic way of praying for the many, many needs for prayer that fill our lives. I mean, how do you cover it all? How do you pray for everything? You know, sometimes I, I go home on Sunday and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, who did I tell I would pray for? And when am I going to do that? And, you know, I've got to jot these down. And I, when, when am I going to do that? I need a plan. Otherwise, my words are just empty. I'm not keeping my word to pray for people. Um, so having a system is just very helpful. It's a tool to help us be fervent and effective and faithful in prayer. So we need to understand that prayer matters. People who don't have a prayer life are not praying for the needs of the body. And prayer is best demonstrated by Jesus. His life was full of prayer, even though he was fully God. And we can have a hard time getting our mind around that. You know, before he selected his disciples, he prayed all night long. And he often prayed at night. After feeding the 5,000, he went off alone to pray. Jesus recognized a need to pray even though he was God, even though he was in control of everything. But he wanted intimacy with his Father. His life was a life of service, just like ours should be. But his life was a life of prayer. He was never too busy to pray. So, go ahead and, um, well, you already have your prayer book. I'm the one who needs to pick up my prayer book again. Okay. So we already looked at um, one of the resources. One of the resources in the back is a list of verses that you can use to help you prepare for your time of drawing near to the Lord and his word. But if we go ahead and turn to the front, um, what you'll see is that there is a page for each day of the week. There's seven days worth here. And there are six areas of prayer and each area of prayer has verses next to it and some suggestions about how to use those verses to prompt your own prayers. Now, when I first, I remember really vividly the first time I actually heard people pray scripture and I was pretty intimidated and I thought, oh dear, I think those guys have the Bible memorized, like the whole thing, cover to cover because everything is coming out of their mouth. I recognize it. I don't know where it comes from, but I'm sure I've heard it before. These are pretty spiritual guys, and I don't think I'm quite in their league. I'll just keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Nobody else ever feels that way, right? But I, if that's the way we think about praying scripture, we, we're missing the point. Um, the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, teach us. To pray. Do you need to be taught to pray? I do. I don't know how to pray for things. And so be students. Let the scripture teach you what to pray by praying what scripture says. Uh, D.A. Carson says, 
Praying scripture is how we learn what our Heavenly Father wants. And what He ex- and it tells us what He expects us to ask for. It tells us why He expects us to ask for those things. And it tells us how to approach Him. And so praying scripture is a way to teach yourself how to pray. Um, it's the way we teach one another how to pray. So I hope that that, like, let's just get that idea that we should be intimidated about praying scripture. Pray scripture because you don't know how to pray. It, it really should be quite an act of humility. that You're not relying on your own ideas of what to ask God for. Um, the other thing to understand about praying scripture is that the idea here is that it's not a rote activity. It's not, you know, just vain repetition of words. I don't just read these pages and say, okay, good, I prayed. These, these are ways of drawing near to the Lord, of prompting our thinking, of giving us ideas of what to praise him for. You know, with Psalm 63 on Sunday under praising God, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. And so then I turned that into my own prayer, like, oh, Lord, your loving kindness is better than life. But I might even say, Lord, I never really even thought about that before. That's how great your loving kindness is. Like, I, I like living, but your loving kindness is better than that. And so I want to praise you, Father. I praise him for what I know is true about him. I just express my desire for him. Or express my desire to have a desire for him. My heart's just getting warmed up, and I, I don't even want to be with him right now. And that's just sinful, and I need to confess that. And he's so kind, and he will give you that desire for himself. Under battling sin, you'll have some verses there that um, kind of give you some thoughts about different components of battling sin, and then there's some bullets. And I want I want you ladies to be encouraged. I'm really encouraged. For a long time in my, my prayer life, my, my confession, my time dealing with sin was pretty much just confessing sin. And I might say, okay, Lord, help me think of my sin. I might think, okay, well, let's see. I didn't yell at anybody yesterday. Um, let's see. I don't remember. I don't remember. Hey, Lord, well, I know I must have sinned. I know I'm a sinner. I probably did something bad. So please forgive me. And amen. And last year, if you guys were in Wellspring, you got an outline that just that came from Scott Maxwell, and he was really just teaching us what he does and how he uses scripture in his prayer life. And he doesn't just have a bullet for battling sin. And this is not Scott Maxwell exalting himself at all. I, I share this with you. He has, he has verses that he reviews in his prayer time on the offensiveness of God. And then uh, offensiveness of sin to God. And then he has verses that he reviews on sin's power to entangle us. And so forth. It's danger. It's deceptiveness. And he is so vigilant to preach to his heart what God's word says about sin. And, you know, I have to tell you, we live in a world where people are stumbling right and left. They're, they're falling like flies. And I, have, I am so encouraged to know that our pastors and our elders take the sin of their own heart so seriously. That they are preaching the truth of God's word to their hearts about sin because they want their sin exposed and they want to be warned against the temptations of sin that are coming today. They don't even know what they are yet. But they are on guard. They do not want their sin to hinder the ministry of the gospel. So be encouraged. That's the example they set for us. And if 
you know, how much more if they, so, so I need that as well. Rehearsing the gospel, thanking God. And, and you know, it's, it's just a tool. You can have a perfectly good prayer life without a little book with verses written out in it. But I'll tell you what, since I, I printed this off for myself a few days ago, and, and so I've been using it, like, okay, I need to give this a test drive, see if this is actually helpful. It has been so helpful to actually walk through this list and think, oh, yeah, Lord, I need to thank you for my trials. What trials should I thank you for? What trials that my friends are in do I need to thank you for? And it humbles your heart. It humbles your heart. It makes you realize, wait, Lord, you are sovereign. You are worthy of receiving thanks, even in the most difficult circumstances. Um, praying for yourself. You know what? Do you ever forget? I realize sometimes I forget to pray for myself. I, I don't think through what's coming up today. Who am I going to see? What meetings do I have? What temptations might I face? What responsibilities do I need to fulfill? Do I do I? I need to be praying about that, asking for God's help to do those, relying on His grace. And then the way I've designed this book. Plenty of ways to do it. This is just one one suggestion, but I've got one section each day for praying weekly. And so these are things, if you feel like I can't get around to praying for everything I know to pray for every day, it's just divided up. The first day, and, and you know, like I said, change this up. Make it suit you. Change the day that you pray things for. Or add things or change things or take things off. I put things in here that I want to be faithful to pray for. And okay, maybe I, I don't, I'm, maybe I'm not going to be able to pray for everybody in my small group every day, but I can pray for them once a week. Um, and so that's that's kind of way that's that's designed. There's some space on these pages for adding specific names of people or specific requests you know, and there's blank pages at the back as well if you want to make lists of who's in your small group and how you want to be praying for them or your Wellspring buddy or the people you serve with in ministry. Um, whatever whatever it is that you want to be diligent and faithful in praying for, this is a tool for helping you be faithful in that. Now you'll notice that under the battling sin section, it says confess, repent, and prepare. And so to give a little more explanation for that, you have a couple pages in the back on pages 18 and 19. And just for the sake of time, I'm not going to actually go through these step by step. They actually are very self-explanatory. If you're going through them and you have any questions, let me know. Um, I'd be happy to try to answer any questions about that. But the first side you see there is preparing for temptation. This is another strategy, another facet, like we talked about in that diamond of shepherding our heart. Um, When I know that there's an area where I'm weak, there's a, I know there's an area where I struggle. Here are some things I can do to be prepared to battle that. Um, and then there's a recovery plan. That's basically, like, how do I repent? How do I really deal with this sin biblically? Other than saying, okay, Lord, please forgive me for blank. What else do I do with that biblically to really help me turn and walk in newness of life there? So those are just some practical steps. And you'll see it refers to this. That's what it talks about above 5 through 7. Um just using that as some of the truths to rehearse. Oh, it's the New Creation Gospel Implications for the Heart brochure that you got earlier in the year in Wellspring. Thank you. Um, And then what's on these two pages you also received as a separate handout because it's just a very, very practical tool. 
Um, I, you, you're getting two copies of it because I'm the kind of person who wants it right here. This is going to be with my Bible, and so I'm sitting there dealing with sin. If I if I need some help in, in evaluating, am I really de- repenting biblically here, or am I really doing everything I can to prepare for temptation? I, a lot of times, I'm not going to actually go to the trouble of pulling out my notebook and finding the sheet of paper. That's my bad. So I put it in the book. But Anne also pointed out that it can be really helpful to have it on a sheet of paper because you got friends. And your friends are saying, man, I just don't know why I'm not making progress fighting this sin. Hey, let's sit down and go through this together. Boy, what, is it, what does it look like to repent? I've got a kid and they tell me they're sorry. They seek forgiveness, but boy, they're just right back in that mud the next minute. They may not understand repentance. I, this is a tool. I can take them through this and help them understand repentance better. Um, so you got it in both places. You got it in your notebook to share. You got it in here to use for yourself. Um, any questions about this book? Anything that needs clarification? It's a tool. If you've never prayed scripture, I want to encourage you to try it or try some of it. If it's too long, you don't want to do all of it, do half one day and half the next day. It'll take you through two weeks that way. Um, it's only a week's worth. I think probably it would be valuable to just go through over and over again. But if it starts to feel rote and it's just the same verses, you've got a place to write down other verses. Because as you do your Bible reading, you're going to see scriptures. You think, oh, that's awesome. I want to use that to praise God. That would be a great verse for helping me battle my battle sin, maybe just battling sin in general or a specific area of sin I struggle with. So you've got a place where you can write down references. Um, that you can use to look up if you want to go beyond the um, the verses that are already printed out for you here. If you get really ambitious and you want to come up with a, another week's worth of verses to pray, share them with me and we'll share them with everybody and everybody will have two weeks worth. Okay. Well, to close, um, you received something that says, it looks like a letter. It says, Dear Brother and Sister in Christ, and this is, I, I think I probably have handed this out before, although I couldn't find it on the website, so maybe I didn't. Um, it lives in my Bible or journal like this. Um, because I think, and I, it's, it's on Jacob Hantla's blog. That's every time I want to find it. I just go back to Jacob's blog. But it really ties together what it is we're after and shepherding our hearts when we're with the Lord in prayer and in the word and as we go throughout our day and why it matters, how important this is to the church, how, how important it is to one another. So I printed it off because it's long, but I do want to go ahead and read it before we close and, um, and uh, go to our dis- discussion groups. Okay. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I need you. I need you to help me. I need you to live your life in such a way that it intends to draw my attention to the glory and greatness of our God. I beg you not to sleep in tomorrow morning or go to bed early tomorrow night if you're a nighttime devotion person. But instead, get up or stay up and read your Bible. Discover afresh the beauty of God in the sacred text. Dwell upon his faithfulness to his own promises. Muse upon his glorious gift of grace and the salvation of sinners like you and me. And write the word of God upon your heart so that it produces reverence for God. 
I'm sorry to break the flow. I forgot to mention to you, um, in those places where you can write down other verses, another way to think about preparing yourself to pray scripture is to memorize scripture. I will tell you, I've been memorizing scripture for a long time, and I still always feel at a loss to be able to think about where that verse is that I can't remember. You never have it mastered. I mean, maybe some people have the whole Bible memorized and they can always pull each verse. I can't. Um, But I'll tell you what, I'm sure glad I've memorized what I have. I'm sure glad that it helps me to the extent that it does. Um, And once it's in your heart, the Holy Spirit can bring it back to your mind to encourage you, to use it to encourage someone else. So if you... I brought my handy-dandy box that has a file system that just helps me be faithful in Bible memory like nothing else I've ever done in all my years of trying to memorize scripture. So I can show that to you. I brought it, but I forgot to mention that earlier. Anyway. Also, I urge you to spend time on your knees in prayer or whatever posture helps you stay alert in prayer. And whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Don't let your mind wander. Don't stop praying until you start praying. Drive yourself into humble submission before the great and infinite reservoir of grace that you might find help in your neediness. As you leave and go about your day, please preach the glories of the gospel to yourself. Tell yourself afresh of the glorious gift of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, that incarnation of holiness and love. Hear again the words of John the Baptist, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Watch him obey the law in your place. See his perfection in both speech and in deed. Hear him say afresh, I always do what's pleasing to my Father. Watch him march resolutely to the cross to purchase our redemption. See him pray for his executioners. Evangelize his fellow crossbearers. Gasp for breath. Commission his disciple. Proclaim it is finished. And then give up his life. See him here and marvel. But don't stop here. Run with the disciples to the tomb and stoop with them and see and see the linen cloths by themselves and you too come away marveling at what had happened. Rejoice at the reality of the living Savior who has given his life to vindicate the glory of God and rescue a people for himself. Now as you leave, sing the doctrinal praise along with Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in tune with Peter with joy inexpressible. And now, believer, come and talk to a Christian like me and tell me something. Tell me something eternal. Give me something for my soul. Tell me what impresses you about Christ. Tell me of the gospel's power. Tell me of Christ's success as a high priest. Tell me of his impending return. Tell me of the divine purpose and trials. Tell me of the perseverance of the saints. Tell me of the ultimate success of the church. Tell me God's gracious work in your life. Tell me of the purity and power of the word of God. Tell me of how you are praying for me. Please, I need you to do this. My heart needs to hear continually of why Christ is so great. So please, Christian, don't forget to tell me. Please be a good friend, and by the grace of God, I will return the favor to you. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are a great and gracious God. Lord, we do not deserve to be people who can come before you without fear. 
We do not deserve to be people who come before a throne of grace to receive grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. We do not deserve to know you. We do not deserve to have your favor towards us for you to take pleasure in your work in us. We do not deserve you. Thank you for your indescribable gift. And now, Lord, as we head to our discussion groups, I pray that you would guide and direct each discussion, that you would let it be a vibrant time where you impress the the truths of your word and the delight of knowing you and the practical applications you would have us make from today, that you impress those on our hearts and minds and, and make them part of who we are for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.